my name is Kate Kleinitz and I'm a member of the Teen Advisory Board at Readings. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Amy Kaufman and Jay Christoph about book three in the Illumini trilogy, Obsidio. I have had the honour of reading Obsidio before its release and I've got to say it is my favourite of the series. Uh, about the story, I'll read the blurb. Asher Grant came to Carenza to escape her past. Too bad he just caught up with her. Asher survived Bytech's initial assault and has been working undercover with the hopelessly outmatched resistance ever since. That and figuring out what to do with the secret she's stashed in the crawl space. The last thing she expected to worry about was her ex-boyfriend, but Reese Lindstrom just landed planet side and he's looking finer than ever in his new Bytech uniform. Is he her way out or a guarantee she never gets off this frozen rock alive? But Asher's not the only one with problems. Her cousin Katie's ragtag band of survivors are headed for Carenza without enough oxygen to last the journey. Oh, and there might be an insurrection brewing. But when have little things like that ever stopped the Illumini group? Too bad time isn't on their side with Biotech hurrying to repair their damaged jump gate and a mass extermination plan for the Carenza civilians. Only a miracle could save them now. And everyone knows that miracles are just the statistical probabilities, right? Okay, so I wanted to start off with an icebreaker. Uh, I have wanted to ask this ever since I knew this interview was coming. Uh, is Illumini at all an allusion to the Illuminati? That's just like <laughs> popped in my head. No, not at no, all. No, not even a little bit. We actually, we found out about 18 months after we'd written the book that it's actually a real word in Latin. Um, it means people who shed light and there's a there's a kind of feminine feel to the letter structure uh, because latin is a gendered language but initially we just made up the word um we were trying to think of a title and titles are really hard if you're an author i'm sure you share a pain writing a title for the you know 80 90 100 000 word opus you've just written trying to sum it up in one or two words is the yeah, hardest no part deal. of writing a book yeah. and we were struggling with a title we couldn't find one that we liked and in the end we decided that we would just make up a word that sounded cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I remember Jay saying, are we this pretentious? Yeah. <laughs> yes, answers, we are. Yes, yes we are. Uh, so, yeah, I was at a Tool concert and I, I was watching the band play and I thought of this word that sounded vaguely sci-fi and kind of cool and texted it to Amy and she said yes. Yep. And that was the book. And I stuck it in the manuscript that night yep. and that was that. Yeah. And then 18 months later, our Latin expert yeah. told us that it's actually a real was word. was like, I love how you've used Latin here and we were like, yes. Yeah. Latin. And actually, strangely enough, it means exactly kind of what the book is about. It's about a, you know, a group of people largely led by female protagonists who are trying to shed light on the mystery of what's happened mm -hmm. in this system. So it was a real weird moment of serendipity. Yeah. But no, nothing to do with the Illuminati. Totally against what Aiden would say. It's a total coincidence. Yeah, it's exactly. a total coincidence. Yeah, yeah, Aiden would be most disapproving. Yeah, he would. I mean, of be course, if it was something to do with the Illuminati, we probably couldn't tell you anyway. So. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd <laughs> have to course, lie and say, make up a story about yeah, how we created the yeah. word. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And how are you guys feeling about the series coming to a conclusion? Excited. I mean, you know, I think we said goodbye to the characters a little while back when we finished writing the book, over a year ago for us. And so for us, this is actually us getting to come back to them rather than us letting go of them. And this is us having a chance to share them with our readers and, and talk about them one more time. So it's a lot of fun for us. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit sad. Um, this was the series that kind of changed our lives in many respects. This is a series that allowed us to become full-time authors and quit our day jobs and go on amazing tours of 
countries and beating readers and yeah it's been an incredible experience so coming to the end of it is a little bit bittersweet but we're we're working on a new series together the first book of that comes out next year so you know we obviously had so much fun writing the first one and didn't yeah. find too many personality <laughs> deficiencies nope. between the pair of us working together but uh yeah we've, we've decided to do a new series so that's that's kind of exciting as well Perfect. That well, that answered my next question, which was about next the next collaboration we could look forward to. Oh yeah, to. always yeah. be selling, always be closing. Yeah. <laughs> no, Gary and Ross, always be closing. No, yeah, no, it's well underway. Yeah, yeah. So we actually we've written the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got our edit letter probably about two weeks ago, I think, yeah. maybe a little bit less. And um, yeah, we'll probably be kicking around ideas for that while we're on tour in the states. So. Mm-hmm. We're really excited about it. It doesn't have a name. It's on Goodreads. It's listed as the Andromeda Cycle, but we've actually changed the name. It was originally going to be set in the Andromeda Galaxy, but we've decided to move it back to the Milky Way. And the Milky Way Cycle doesn't sound quite as impressive. It sounds more <laughs> like a chocolate bar. It does, um, which is exciting in its own way, but not very cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's the book yeah. formerly known as the Andromeda Cycle now, um, but that is we're kind of pitching it as. Guardians of the Galaxy meets Six of Crows. So it's kind of a group of misfits and losers and discipline cases who are in a military academy and they're put in a position whereby they have to save the universe. Yeah, we're sort of going with, you know, they're not the heroes we deserve, they're just the ones that were in the room at the time. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds amazing, something I'm looking forward to. Um, How do you guys find co-writing together? Like, you both... Uh, must love space since your next series is also going to be about space. Yeah, we're massive space space nerds. Well, and the fact that we've already written book one of the new series together tells you that we're having a pretty good time. (laughs) Yeah, of course. We haven't sort of, you know, pretended to be friends to the end of Obsidio and then (laughs) parted ways. Yeah, yeah, we only speak through our lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Imagine us being together enough to have lawyers. But it's it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, we, we both work on other projects and we both work on solo projects and it sounds kind of, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's amazing to have someone to share these experiences with, yeah. um, you know, even doing this podcast, you know, having yeah. someone there to kind of bounce ideas off and pick your ideas up and run with them. That that's, it makes the process way more special for me. Writing yeah. a book by yourself is, is a pretty solitary and lonely endeavor. So I remember, you know, the, the first time we found out that we got on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, you know, that was something yeah. that we did together. So that it is. And you're more excited away. because it's happening to someone else as well. You're more yeah. excited because it's happening to your friend as well. And, you know, we're always sort of, all of us, not, not just when we're co-authoring, but like in life, we're always quick to praise our friends. But then when we do the same thing, we're like, oh, you know, no big deal. And so I think you almost celebrate stuff more and enjoy stuff more when it's happening to someone else as well. Yeah. And I mean, we, we both have strengths and weaknesses in our in our writing repertoire, and that's true of any author in the world. Um, so it's great working with people who can shore up your yeah. deficiencies, I guess. Like the, there are things that Amy has done in book three, in particular, that I know I could never have written. Um, they're just they're beyond my scope. So. I get to have these amazing cool parts in a book that has my name on it and I literally don't have the ability to do it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. No, I mean, there are bits all through the series where I would literally send him the manuscript and go, I've had an idea for this bit, but I can't write it. 
can you have a go? And he would be able to not just write it in a way I couldn't, but make it even more gruesome and terrifying than I could have. So, you know, but this is the thing is the best things happen when it's not just one of you. The best things happen when sort of someone has an idea and then the other person takes it and runs with it and expands on it and, and tweaks it and you always end up with something that's better than either of you could do on your own. So do you think then in your solo projects in the future you'll still be like looking for people to bounce ideas off? Oh, we do. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you'll have beta readers and crit partners and um, people, you'll, you'll just kick ideas around with all the time, yeah, but it's not quite as involved as when you're actually yeah. writing a book with them. So, but I think you do sort of end up a little bit... I know when I solo write, I sort of have my co-author's voice in my head a little bit. Like I can, I know what my co-author would say. Yeah. So, you know, I can, I can, I'm writing something that's meant to be scary and I think, mm, Jay would change this, Jay would do it like this. And it's sort of almost like you've got your writing buddy in your head because you've <laughs> learned so well what they do and how they do it. Yeah, and so um, as the series is very like speculative fiction, do you think that having a, like a co-author helps with the difficulty of that? I don't know that we find, I think we don't find spec fit harder than writing, say, something set in the modern day. No, um, I, I think it helps that we're both massive space nerds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we kind of grew up reading sci-fi and watching science fiction and we have pretty similar tastes in what we like and what we don't. So yeah. I think that helps a lot. But no, I mean, we're super nerds, so spec fit yeah. is kind of where we live. Yeah, I think, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think I would find it harder to write something contemporary than oh, yeah, in the modern impossible. day. So I feel like when we want drama, we can blow something up. Yeah, I'll throw but a dragon when, in there or something. Yeah, yeah, or just like invading <laughs> aliens. Whereas if when a, a contemporary author wants, you know, they have to be able to create, dra- create drama out of two people walking down a corridor at school yeah. and the way they respond to each other and then keep walking. Yeah. Like they don't get explosions. They don't get aliens and dragons. <laughs> I have enormous respect for contemporary yeah. authors. Particularly in YA, like, there's some incredible work being done by yeah. contemporary YA writers right now, and I, I know I couldn't do it. Yeah, so do you, when it comes to your own personal reading, do you read more fantasy than contemporary as well, or just the whole mix? I read as widely as possible. Yeah. Um, so I'll read histories and biographies and yep. yeah, YA and, and adults and yeah. Yeah, contemporary and sci-fi. Um, I think if you, if you read in one particular genre or mindset you'll tend to have your point of view blinkered um you know no matter what you read it it kind of informs you as a writer so if you read too much of the one thing you'll probably be over informed by that thing yeah and you can end up sounding like everyone else yeah so i mean if you all you read is ya fantasy you'll, you'll probably sound like every other ya fantasy author out there so yeah that that's something that i'm at great pains to do read as widely as i possibly can so I think the last thing I read was a, a biography of Scott Kelly, who was an astronaut that spent a year on the ISS. He's the lo- longest running tenure. <laughs> I've got on. that on my stack. Oh, yeah, That's I'm going to start that soon. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. He, oh. he's, he's a very interesting guy. He's a very interesting guy just aside from the, like, what he's done. Yeah. He's just like he's achieved so much before he even did that experiment. Yeah. This is not the Scott Kelly podcast, but it could be. We <laughs> can keep going, but let's talk about other things. Yeah, I mean, it shows that you guys have a lot in common, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, so if your reading's really diverse, then what draws you to writing for young adults in particular? Um, I think with every story you start, because like I've written down like to middle grade and Jay's written up into adult as yep. well. And so with every story you start, a part of it is just who's this story about? Of course. Yeah. You know, what, what are the age of the protagonist? What feels right? 
but also, I mean, why would you not want to write for teenage readers? Teenagers are incredible. I mean, all we have to do is look at, at current events and, and look at, for instance, the teens in the US at the moment who are leading the charge on gun laws to see... Yeah, I was, like, on, I was on the train here and mm. I was reading about um, reading about some of that and I was, like, almost in tears because they're yeah. so inspiring. Yeah. They're so. so inspiring. Like, they're the worthiest audience out there and I don't think any young adult author has been remotely surprised. Very impressed, but not surprised by their ability to stand up and do this because... I think we already knew that teens were worth that conversation, but there's an incredible amount of enthusiasm and passion in that community. Yeah. You know, having having written for adult and for teens, mm. um, yeah, the the level of enthusiasm in the YA community is it's second to none. It's amazing. It is, and the sort of adults that you get reading young adult fiction tend to kind of be the best ones, to be honest. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a magnet for. For good people. Yeah, I mean, we're, really we're basically agree. big kids ourselves. I, totally. I think I stopped developing at around 12. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I reckon I made it to maybe 15. <laughs> yeah. But, and the thing, the secret is, a lot of adults feel that way. I think a lot of people think that when they, that if they grow up and achieve certain things, like you grow up and you get a partner and you have a house and a job and... I don't know, you go on a holiday every year or whatever. That's what grown-ups do, so you'll feel like a grown-up. And I think a lot of people get there and go, oh, I am still making this up as I go along. I thought it would all make more sense by now. And it's not in a bad way, but I think Sarah Rhys Brennan, who's a wonderfully talented author, uh, once said, and I loved this, that young adult literature is the literature of transformation and that we are all transforming ourselves all the time, whether it's your first day at school as a student or your first day going to pick your kid up from school and not knowing a single other parent in the playground, or whether it's your first date or whether it's your first date after you get divorced. You know, we're all having all these moments where we figure out who we are all the time. So I think that's one of the reasons you get YA readership so wide, you know, of such a wide range of ages. Yeah, I mean, as an 18-year-old, I've been uh, reading young adult and, like, I'm coming to the age where lots of people are like, you should start reading adult, and I'm just, like, not... I find that young adult has a lot of diversity in the issues it covers. Oh, yeah. And just the people that are included in it. Like, it's just so magical to me. that Anyone who says otherwise is a person who's not reading YA. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's not an either-or proposition. Yeah. It's not like you turn 18 and and graduate from year 12 and they're like, well, (laughs) good job, now you're a grown-up. You're only allowed to read this section of the bookshop now. You know, you can read from anywhere you want you know should see the picture book collection i have at home i don't have kids my husband and i just dig picture books and keep bringing them home but you can you can read some adult and keep reading YA. you can do whatever you want yeah and that's what i say to anyone who says that like they don't want to read young adults because it's for young adults and i'm just like just give one book a try i can recommend i can recommend a few for you um and so within um this series is there any like issues that are like in the real world that you've brought into this fantasy world i think you can't help doing that yeah whether you mean to or not i think we're very strong on the idea that we never want to preach a message because preaching a message is a really good way to sound preachy we instead (laughs) kind of we write stories about the questions that we're asking and the things we're wondering about and the hope is that the reader will come out also thinking about that stuff and asking questions but we don't want to tell them what the answer yeah, is yeah we don't necessarily want to provide the answer we just want to provoke thought I mean we don't know the answer sometimes so yep. there's that but yeah we 
I mean, I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff all through the series about the power of the individual to make a difference. And, you know, certainly in Obsidio, we were both thinking a lot about the fact that we're living in a world right now where anyone who doesn't agree with us, we're really determined to simplify their view and then tell them they're terrible. And that's not actually either that productive or that accurate. You know, everyone's complex and everyone believes what they believe for some reason. And there's never been a better time to try and understand what other people are thinking. So certainly in Obsidio, we were thinking a lot about the fact that, you know, everyone in this story is doing the best they can. And I mean, the overarching theme in the book is, you know, there's a corporate conspiracy and a small group of individuals who are trying to bring this information mm-hmm. to light, the idea that information wants to be free. It's kind of an old hacker cliche, but that, that's a truism throughout the series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in book three, we were really careful. We, we didn't, there's not really a villain in book three. Um, there's a bunch of people in an awful situation who are all doing what they think is right, and that inevitably results in them doing horrible things to other people. But there's no moustache-twirling bad guy boss that gets fought at the end of Act 3 and everything is great and everyone goes home in a limousine. It's a really messy and complicated situation that these people find themselves in. So hopefully that's reflective of the world that we're in at the moment. Yeah, I totally get that. There was a few characters within Obsidian that I really recognised that in. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, I just saw some, some arcs that were from book one to book three and you just saw that they were just trying to survive right yeah i think yep. most people in obsidio if if you didn't meet anyone else in the book and you just sat down with them and they explained why they were doing what they were doing you'd probably walk away going yeah all right that makes sense yeah in their yeah. situation i'd probably do the same thing yeah yeah i really saw that in the end as well um i just recognized that in so many characters right at the end so did you guys have like the ending planned from the beginning, like an overall arc where you wanted to land? No. Not really. Um, I mean, we... Very loosely. Yeah. Very. When very we started loose. writing this book, as in the first one, Illuminate, we didn't think it would ever sell. We thought the ideas were just too strange and the series would be too expensive mm-hmm. to produce. So we really wrote it for ourselves. We were just having fun, I mean, kicking a ball around the backyard together. So... To say we to say to we say had a there plan, was a master was plan three, no, <laughs> would no, be no. to vastly overstate. <laughs> yeah, but after after the series sold, and we particularly when we started working on book two, we were thinking about where the series was going to go yeah. and what we ultimately wanted to do with it. But that the last kind of two hundred pages, that massive action sequence, we planned that while we were road tripping around Texas we're on tour for Gemini and whenever we can in America because we haven't seen much of the country we've been there a lot but when you're on tour you tend to just see an airport a bookstore a hotel and then another airport but we we were at great pains last tour to actually drive around the country and see some of it meet some people yeah and yeah so we were driving around Texas which is a beautiful part of the country and just kicking around this massive action sequence. Yeah. So I was driving and Amy had a notebook in her lap and for like eight hours we just yeah. planned. Did, did logistics. Yeah, the, the yeah. logistics of this massive multi-part yeah. explosion Because you really have to, when you've got many, many people involved in a battle that's happening over a large space, you need to, you need to plan. You can't have someone on one side of, you know, a planet one minute and, and you know forever away 15 minutes later there's got to be some logic to it so yeah it was so there's a lot of moving pieces it was yeah. probably the most complex thing we've ever written but yeah 
Hopefully it turned out okay. Oh, it paid off. <laughs> Let me tell you, I stayed up until about 2 a.m. Yeah, And then nice. there was about 100 pages to go, and I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. If it gets really emotional, I can't, I can't handle it this late at night. So I had to put it down and go <laughs> back to it the next day. But that was the first thing I did the next day was oh, finish it. Great. So to tell you what, the ending... Beautiful. Oh, glad you, you like it. It's so funny. It. It's like, you, you are probably, I think, like the fourth or fifth person we've heard from in a couple of days who's like, I got to within 100 pages of the yeah, end. Yeah, it's weird. And it was the wee hours of the morning and I'd stayed up later than I needed to. The and I realized. Were and I couldn't yeah, I couldn't see yeah. anymore and I realized I won't be okay. I need to stop. Yeah, it's a testament to you guys. Like, I was so attached to all the characters. They're all just so kick ass and so beautiful that I was just like, I cannot like handle seeing the end of this quite yet so I just need to give myself more time so I mean on that note like did you guys have a highlight or like a favourite character during your writing um I mean I I think probably my favourite bits of the book are the I was talking about before those pieces that Amy wrote that I that I literally couldn't write myself so nice to me and I don't understand (laughs) yeah I know I'm normally normally terrible Um, brownie points but there's I, I read a lot, uh, and it's very rare that a piece of writing actually impacts me on a, on a real emotional level. Um, the yeah. last time I remember it happening profoundly was when I read a book called All the Rage by Courtney Summers, which if you haven't read, you should totally read. It's incredible. Um, but within the first three pages of reading that book, I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. It was just that arresting. Um, yeah, so sidebar, everyone sitting should read All the Rage by Courtney Summers. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and there's three moments in this book in Obsidio that Amy wrote that made me feel the same way. So, And I'm, I'm pretty hard to, to, to... Yeah, I don't feel much at all anymore. I'm a little bit dead inside. So, yeah, having three different occasions in the book uh, that were that gripping and arresting for me was yeah they're amazing but I can't talk about them because they're super spoilery I'm pretty no. sure you'll, <laughs> that's I'm, how I feel I'm pretty sure you'll know them when you get there <laughs> okay. I, I live for the moments when he leaves me like a comment on the manuscript that says got a bit misty here and I'm like and when I say that I've probably got a lot misty but I just want to play it cool, play cool. Yeah. I think but, and this is the lovely thing about co-authoring right is you get to have all these favourite bits of your own book that you when you've written it yourself, you can always see something that you could have changed or done differently. And it probably wouldn't be better, but you somehow think, you know, if I'd been given another chance to edit it 17 more times, I bet I could have made it perfect. <laughs> but when someone else writes it, you're able to just love it. Like, yeah. there are these bits. I think the stuff that Jay does that I just don't know how to do are the kind of dizzying action sequences. I mean, like I'm like the rest of the world, I love the bits that he does where Aiden goes super philosophical. Course, but I feel yeah. like everyone loves that, so that's not helpful to talk about because <laughs> that's kind of a given. But the bits where you can tell that he can picture this whole sort of battle sequence in space that's happening inside his head, and then somehow he manages to write it down so that I can picture it as well. And... I mean, Stephen King says that writing is as close as we can get to telepathy in that if the person who's writing something down can really clearly picture it and write it down well enough, other people get to come and join them exactly where they are. And those moments when you're reading something, like when I'm reading, and again, like I don't want to be spoilery, but like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's fair to say that in, in most of these books, there's some form of like dogfight in space. That's, course, you know, yeah. a staple <laughs> of the series. But those things where in just a handful of words he manages to introduce me to someone make me care about them and then kill them 
And I'm like, he could have just said, you know, six shuttles explode. And instead I'm like, no, no, so-and-so was on that. And I only met them two pages ago. So yeah, why do that's I care? Very true. And yet here I am. Yeah. So. That's, I think I've read a quote that says uh, books are so heavy because they contain the whole world. Yeah, wow, think, that's a great quote. Yeah. Who said yeah. that? I have no clue. I'm oh. pretty sure it just said, like, unknown. It was just on Tumblr. But, um, oh, yeah, Tumblr, good... the source of many unknowns. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, yes. But I think that really represents your books, oh, this series, because wow. they are a bit heavy, but they, they contain, very heavy. The they contain a whole universe, in fact. There and you you've done it beautifully. Oh, so thank you. Thank you. Oh. That's awesome to say. And hey, I want to congratulate lovely. you guys on such a good trilogy. Thank you so much. You killed it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Aww. Thank you. We have to finish the podcast now so we can all go hug. <laughs> <laughs>